You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast, Welcome Home. The Father's heart is for you and waiting with open arms. Join us today as we jump into a message from our series, There's No Place Like Home. We are addressing the question, what is home? You don't have to click your heels, just step inside. There's a seat for you. So get ready. God is on the move. Good morning, Emmanuel. How many love Jesus today? You love him? Big shout out to Emmanuel and Elk River, Lakeville, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, and those joining online. It's great to be home. In fact, the title of our series is There's No Place Like Home, right? And how many know in home in this, this time of the year in weather like we had yesterday? Come on, somebody. It's good. It's good. I'm like, let's go. Keep it going, Jesus. I, I, I'll order up this weather all year long if I could. Super excited about what's happening in our church. We're on week number four of this series, and the title of my message today is this, Bring It Home. Turn to the person next to you and say, Bring It Home. (laughs) Bring It Home. Set it up here, Uh, and of course, after services and around each of our locations, we're having breakfast of different types, so we're really looking forward to some of the things that will happen. Hopefully, you'll eat it here. You won't have to bring the food home. But uh, when I want to take you back a couple decades ago when I was a youth pastor, and uh, during that time of our life, uh, I loved to go to like Timberwolves basketball games, NBA games, but um, balling on a budget, there was no like great tickets and all of that kind of thing. Uh, so most of the games that I ever saw were in the upper deck of Target Center. And uh, so you get to go watch, and to be honest with you, when I would sit and watch, I probably watched more on the jumbotron on the scoreboard than I did by actually looking all the way down at the players on the court. But I love the experience. I love the Timberwolves. I love Kevin Garnett, the whole thing. And, uh, and one day I got a phone call from a local youth pastor who uh, said he's got tickets. His name was Ben Bright. And uh, Ben uh, said, hey, I've got some tickets to the game. Do you want to go? And the answer is always yes, right? So... We get in the car, we drive down there for a game, and he's got the tickets. I don't know where they are, but we drive it and get out of the car. We go up into the stadium, go up the escalators, get to the usher. He shows the usher the tickets. The usher takes us down, and we kept going down closer and closer to the floor. And finally, we get out there, and our seats are on the court. They're courtside seats, all right? And this is one of the reasons I will love Ben for the rest of my life, right? But as, as we got there and I sat down, my seat actually was next to the Washington Wizards bench. And for five minutes of the third quarter, my knees were touching Michael Jordan's knees. <laughs> Boom! The GOAT, right? Now, one of the things is there's a very different feel being on the court and seeing it than there was way up in the rafters. I, I was face to face. The players were bigger. Their muscles were, were bigger. They were more intense. In fact, I talked to the whole Wizards team throughout the game, except for that time that Michael was sitting next to me. I call him Michael, Mr. Jordan, whatever you want to call him. Come fly with me, Mr. Jordan. And he's sitting next to me, and I did not talk to him because he was the most intense human being I've ever seen in my life. So focused, nobody talked to him. His own teammates didn't talk to him because he was focused in on the game. And there was something about that experience that there was a difference between being distant and being up close. That's the way it is with human relationships too. There's a difference between being distant 
and being up close. Think about this with our opinions about people. We can talk about people that aren't up close to us. We'd rather talk about them than to talk to them. But then when we know them, it's, it changes the game. And the change of perspective, that up-close feeling, brings an intensity. There's a difference when we get closer to people in life. From a distance, we can have opinions and be calloused about them. But and from a distance, we miss out on connection and friendship. And today, we're going to look at a man who only heard of Jesus from a distance. Everyone else was talking about Jesus, the miracle worker. And a guy named Zacchaeus was curious about Jesus. And this man had a lot of reasons to remain distant, disconnected from Jesus and anyone around Jesus. But we'll see that Jesus is on a mission to find lost people, and he wants to be found. Just one step of our curiosity can bring hope to our home. Look with me at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. How many have your paper Bibles? Hold them up in the air. Let me see them. All right, wave them around like you just don't care. How many have your electronic versions? Wave them up in the air. There we go. Luke chapter 19. You can also follow along on the Emmanuel MN app. You can get in the app store. And we have our message notes up every week. You can fill in a blank, take your own notes, email them to yourself afterward. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to the, be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, this particular passage is incredible. It's wrapped up in God's heartbeat for the lost people. But I want you to catch something maybe from a different vantage point today about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had these obstacles to experiencing the hope. You remember at the end of this story, of course, salvation comes to his whole home. But there was an obstacle to that moment happening. His obstacles were the crowd. The crowd was in the way. Now, if you were here last week for Mother's Day, didn't Jody do a great job talking about the crowd and being crowded? I mean, it was... And uh, there were a few drop the mic moments uh, in, the, in there that I didn't hear anything uh, in the room because sometimes conviction comes in when my wife talks. It happens in my house too, by the way. <laughs> but the size of the crowd was between Zacchaeus and Jesus. And uh, the, it kept him from getting close. There was a cultural aspect as well to the crowd keeping him 
from getting close. It just wasn't the number of people. It was also the way that the people viewed him. You see, he was a tax collector, and tax collectors, he was the boss of the tax collectors. He was like, he was the crime head. He was the mafia boss. He was the stay away from that guy. He was that hated politician or that millionaire that everybody pickets against. He was the type of person that nobody wanted to be around. And the culture kept him from being near people. He was disconnected, isolated in a way. And I think there was probably a fear about him wanting to go through the crowd. People wouldn't let him get to Jesus. Culture can do that. There are cultural rules that kind of spring up that prevent us from reacting or relating to anybody else or having connection with people. Cultural rules. Think about Minnesota. Minnesota is built on a foundation of Scandinavian settlers. And they brought with them their distinctive Scandinavian cultural rules. Now, I'm not, I didn't grow up here, but I had to learn the Minnesota rules. There's cultural rules. They're just ways that we relate to each other. And a lot of them are really great things I've learned. You know, We have the best roads. Our roads are kept up. Our cities are mostly clean all the time. It's like Ikea all the time, right? Uh, we have things like Minnesota nice. Not sure exactly what that means all the time, but we have it, right? But we, and we also have some cultural rules like we didn't need a social distancing law when, when COVID broke out. We already had it. People don't hug as much. They don't connect as much. They like to have enough space between them and another person. That's some of our cultural rules. Here's the danger. The danger is, as Christians, is we could keep people out. We'll give people directions to anywhere but our own house. Think about that. We keep people out because of culture, not because of our heart or our mission. The crowd of culture can keep people from receiving the hope of Jesus, even in the church crowd. When we're satisfied with being close to Jesus ourselves and not notice or make room for the people around us who are new, our culture is keeping them from their hope. So he had that obstacle of culture. He also had the obstacle to experiencing the hope of Jesus, the vantage point. It says it in there that Zacchaeus was short. If you grew up in the church world, you might have learned a little song about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted. You know? And so they, we teach our kids these songs. Now, I don't, I don't think that we need to think of Zacchaeus as a bad guy or a, a faulted guy because he was short. Some people are born tall and some people are born short. Some people uh, have great eyesight. Some people don't have great eyesight. I mean, there's all kinds of things physically. Jesus wasn't against, and then the, the writer of the gospel was not trying to note that he was short in some outside. But his shortness, when he tried to see the, Jesus through the crowd, he couldn't see over the crowd. It's like, can't see him. Can't see him. So what does he do? He has to go up a tree. Now, I want you to consider for all of us, we all have some form of shortness, obstacles between us and God. It's our vantage point. We can't see from where we are, so we got to go up a tree. We got to get into a different vantage point to see Jesus. Sometimes it's our schedules, the busyness of schedule. 
Zacchaeus, in his, he was a busy man. He was in charge of a lot of employees. He had a lot to do. His schedule prevented him from seeing Jesus. For us, it could be our full calendar. When we spend so much time every day doing so many things, we might not see Jesus. Or notice the people that are close to us. Because we're running from thing to thing to thing to thing. That's why in the Old Testament, God instituted a law called the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a, a day off, not for God, but for people. Because how many know we run ourselves to death? So full, so phone is always ringing. Texts are always going. All kinds of stuff are going on all the time, right? Well, think about it. That was an obstacle of a vantage point. If your schedule is so full, you can't see Jesus. And if your schedule is so full and you're so busy, so hurried, you won't notice the people that God brings into your life. Those objects of schedule are a big deal. What about wealth? This man had a lot of wealth, the text says. He had a lot of money. You know, in this modern day and era, we have, we, you know, inflation is really high and and we've got a lot of things going on, but let's be honest. We have more money in this era than we've ever had. There's more things accessible. People can go on vacations, jump on a plane, buy a cabin, get a boat. Do I mean, we've got our phones will pop up. But we sit down and we're like just going, what are we going to do this summer? I don't know. You want to go to the lake? Do you want to go on a trip? Do you want to go on a cruise or whatever? And two seconds later, if you pop up your phone, there'll be a, a marketing ad to you for that thing. They're listening to you all the time, right? And it can become an obstacle because, listen, we can begin to chase things because we can afford to now and neglect the more important things. It can take over. And before we know it, it's possible that we become servants to the very things we dreamed of owning and having no time for the things that matter. Finally, the obstacle that Zacchaeus had had to do with his reputation. He knew in his own head, people don't like me. My reputation is in the way. He had to overcome the shame of his reputation. He had to get to a different vantage point to see Jesus. To get a new perspective, he went up in a tree. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, a change of place plus a change of pace equals a change of perspective. He had to get to a space where he could see Jesus. I just want to applaud you that you came to church today. Even out of the, all the busy things going on and all the things you got planned during the day, you are giving yourself a different vantage point, the possibility of seeing Jesus. Bravo. Give yourselves a hand today. Come on. That's, that's one simple step, right? But here's the cool thing. In the middle of a crowd, Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He looks up and he says his name, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. He sees him and he notices him. Jesus notices you in the crowd. That's great news. When you look for Jesus, he can see you. Jeremiah 29 verse 12. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will what? Find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will be found by you. Now, the very 
next part of the story is really important because Jesus chooses a type of place for the majority of his life-changing moments. You know, we think of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount and preaching to the crowd and the times that the crowds are around and Jesus out in the boat and he's preaching to everybody. But uh, just as many times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that Jesus isn't preaching to the crowd. He's having a conversation across the table. He would spend time with people in their homes at the table. You see, Zacchaeus got to have Jesus over to his house. And he got to spend time with Jesus in his house. What does it say in verse 5? When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest where? In your home today. Let me just say this, church. Jesus wants to be in your home. Not just in the church house. Not just in the context of a worship service on Sunday morning. But Jesus is coming to your house. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, he's coming to your house. Now, Jesus practices what a term I'll introduce to you today. It's called table fellowship. Table fellowship is where Jesus would go to somebody's house and he would have conversations. You kind of have different kind of conversations when you get at the table, don't you? You sit down, you relax, you chill out. There's responsibilities, Middle Eastern responsibilities of hospitality. You greet people at the door. Uh, hey, do you want anything to drink? Have a seat. You might go to the living room and then to the kitchen table. There might be a process to it. If it's for a dinner at the night, you come to the table like this and, and, uh, and, and here you've got a French press. Hey, there's some coffee in here. They left coffee for me? Check it out. Oh, I'm preaching, aren't I? This is actually pretty good. I'm going to try it out because I can smell it. It's pretty good. It's a little dark, a little like motor oil somewhat, but it's pretty good. I like it a little darker. It's, it's good. Now, here, here's what I want you to consider. A host is responsible for creating an environment for relationship. You're responsible for creating an environment for relationship. It's not about the coffee. It's not about the food. It's not about having the perfect house. It's about the environment where someone else feels comfortable. What does it feel like to be around you in your home? What does it feel like for your kids to be around you in your home? What does it feel like for a guest in your home? You know, we are meant to create an environment for relationship. That means it's got to be confidential. Whatever we talk about in here, I'm not going to go blab on the phone to somebody else. How many of you know the next time they're not going to say anything? It's got to be that place where it's not judgmentalism, where we're not judging all the time. And when it comes to creating a place uh, that is hospitable, we really want this house to be a house of miracles, a house, a home of transformation. 
So let me ask the question. I'm going to give you a few things here. But how can your home be a place of transformation? A house of miracles. Let me give you the first thing. It's going to require time. You've got to have time together. It may start with inviting people in. In a basic way, if you want Jesus in your home, you've got to invite Jesus into your home. You actually have to invite him in. And you got to think about him being in there. And what you're watching, he's watching. I mean, one of those moments last week when Jody was talking, she's, she was talking about entertainment and things she wants to not have. And she's like, I don't want to be entertained by someone else's sin. I was like, oh, I think I got the air evaporated from the, uh, the room. It was like, oof, sucked out of the room. But just think about this. If you're going to invite Jesus in, you actually have to do it. And every day to acknowledge his presence, it's going to require time. But I think it's also going to require time with people. If you want a better marriage, you got to have time in the home with your family, in your marriage. If you want better parenting, you got to have time with your kids. If you're gone all the time, you're not going to have it. It starts with time. If you're going to have a relationship with neighbors, it's going to require time. All right. How can your home be a house, a place of transformation, a house of miracles? Secondly, be intentional. Be intentional. Think about this, families. You need, we need a regular place for conversation. We need to restore the dinner table, perhaps. I mean, it's, our evenings have been messed up, right? Now that we're running kids to that thing and, and we got to go to this practice and we got to pick up that thing and we got to run around and I'm on a softball team, so I got to be somewhere else. But listen, we've got to be intentional if we're going to have time together. We've got to be intentional about that. If you're going to be intentional, that also includes your time with your kids. Parents, listen to me. And I have no idea. I, I leave my notes about this point. I did it in the first service. I'm going to do it right now. But I want you to consider with your kids. Your kids need you. And they need time with you. And one of the things that I've discovered over time is one of the best times that you can have with your kids is bedtime. Because kids don't want to go to bed. How many? I need a glass of water. I need something to drink. I need to go to the bathroom. There's always, I'm not. So what if in that time period, instead of just shoving your kids in and locking the door, what if you use that time at the end of the evening to have a place for conversation with your kids? You know, when our kids were growing up, um, I used to try to teach them Bible stories by dramatizing them. You know, I was like, you know, Daniel in the lion's den part two. You know, or I would do the Zacchaeus story like we're doing today and I would make it fun and I would let our kids ask questions. And if it was exciting to me and I was having a good time with them, they were more likely to have a shared experience with me. Listen, relationships are built off of shared experiences. And so you got to create those experiences. What about reading a book to them? As kids grew older, I started reading books, novels to my kids and our older two, I remember we were reading through a, a pretty intense uh, novel series called This Present Darkness. Uh, it was by Frank Peretti, and it was about angels and demons and the war of the heavenlies and stuff. And I would read it, and they would get into it, and half the time, they would fall asleep while I was reading. But it was shared. I was intentional. Does that make sense? 
Let me, let me fast forward now. As kids get older, how many of you have teenagers? Teenagers or young adults that you know. You know, something happens with, with kids as they get older. They don't want to talk to you about everything, especially if you're still lecturing them like they're still in elementary school. They want to have a conversation. And if you can pause and you become a better listener, like I just did with you at a moment, let the awkward silence rest there. They're more likely to share their thoughts if they know you're not going to come down and lecture them right away. They're becoming adults. They're moving towards independence. And the best thing that you can do is pause and allow them to share their real thoughts when they're ready. And by the way, uh, you never know when that's going to come. If you've got boys and you're raising sons, they're less likely to sit down and just talk serious with you. I've noticed that sometimes uh, when I would run uh, in youth ministry days, I would run a small groups. The girls would get in a group and they would talk for hours. You get a middle school group of guys. How's it going? Good. That was it. All right, let's go. Let's just pray. Let's get out of here, right? But I'll tell you this. If you want to get to know sons and boys, do something with them. Go out with them. Play basketball. Go for a walk. Wives, if you want to know your husband better, do something with them. Join them. Why do guys want to get away all the time and go, to the, go hunting or go fishing? Why is it? Well, I'll tell you what, when they get out there, they do begin to talk with other guys. But it's not fast and it's not easy. If you want to get conversation out of them, go do something with them. Even if you don't like it, even if you don't want to fish, go spend time with them. Man, I'm getting all kinds of quietness in church today. If you want spiritual friendships, have connect groups over to your house. If you want to develop something more than just theater religion, have people over to your house. You can't just form a relationship with people by seeing the back of their head on Sunday morning. You've got to go beyond that. Can I get an amen? amen. Third, third thing that you can do to create a house of miracles and have transformation in your house is practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Come on now. What is hospitality? It's what I'm talking about. It's creating an environment for relationships. It's going the extra mile to create. In order to do that, we need to overcome our fear of people seeing our weaknesses of a clean house. Aha. I'm going to keep going. I stepped on some toes. I'm going to keep going. One of the biggest obstacles in Minnesota is that we don't want people to see our house because we're embarrassed. Or it's not clean enough. Or it's not a wealthy enough house. Or we're embarrassed by our apartment. Or we're embarrassed by something else. 
And let me just tell you that, that that fear will keep you from being hospitable. Why? Because then you got to have it perfect in order to do it. And guess what? It's never perfect, so you never do it. So what I would suggest is I would love to see within Emmanuel us overcome judgmentalism. So that when we go over to somebody's house, we're not judging them. And we get judgmentalism out of our heart. We're not worried about others judging us. Come on, somebody. What if? What if we had a culture where we don't have to have the perfect environment, perfect house, perfect cleaned up house in order for somebody to come over and hang out? What would happen? Perhaps there would be miracles in your family, in your relationships, if you got over the fear. Turn to the person next to you and say, get over it. <laughs> get over it. What if we had coworkers over, parents over, kids from our ball team over, new people in the neighborhood? What if we had people that don't look like us, are from a different country, may speak a different language? What if we reached out? Jesus said that his house would be called a house of prayer for all nations. If there's going to be a miracle in America, it's going to start with people who are open to having others in their home or in relationship, that they don't let the walls of culture keep them, the crowd of culture keep them from seeing Jesus. We can provide a different vantage point. Can I get an amen? amen. We need to notice people. We need to spend time listening to them. That's the last thing. When somebody comes over, one of the things that I've discovered is I don't need a personal pulpit in my house. I just need an ear. In order for somebody to have an environment of hospitality, I need to learn to just listen. What's your story? What's you thinking about? Not jumping in and giving my advice all the time until they ask for it. When they ask for it, then be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, Peter says. But until then, just listen. You know what kind of people I want to be around? People that are listeners. They're easy to be with. They want to hear what's going on in my world. They're not judging me. They just want to be with me. You want some more coffee? Let's just hang out. And some of you are worried, well, if I have somebody over to my house, they're going to stay for five hours. So I'm not going to have him. So why don't you just start the conversation? Oh, hey, listen, I got an hour and then I got somewhere to be in an hour and a half. So you let them know ahead of time. Now you're over the issue. Come on now. Now I'm just like, Esther Nate's meddling today in church. I want you to notice the result of Jesus coming over to Zacchaeus' house. Look at it in verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. You know what happens? Jesus come into the house, his heart begins to be transformed. He begins to change. When you let Jesus into your heart and you let him into your home, he'll begin to change you. And it's his kindness that leads to repentance. He changes. Zacchaeus begins to repent and it, he changes. And this is the cool thing. Jesus' presence forever changed Zacchaeus' reputation. When you let Jesus come and change you, 
and you go through the steps of becoming a Jesus follower, all of a sudden his presence changes your reputation and your presence in other people's lives will change their reputation too. Church, we can't be afraid of being connected to other people, even if they vote a different way than you do. We're a purple church. We got Democrats and Republicans in our church. We got people that hate all politicians in our church. We got politicians in our church. We've got it all in it. And in the house of God, we're open to relationship. Anybody can sit at our table. Come on, somebody. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. And if we learn to listen, his transformation in our personal story and our ability to listen, let Jesus listens to someone else will forever change their life. Jesus' presence changed Zacchaeus' reputation. May this be true of the hospitality of Emmanuel. For us to be a house of miracles, our hospitality will be a part of Jesus changing reputations and there will be life change. Listen, people don't change when they hear a good message. That's when change begins. Real life change happens when after they hear a good message and God begins to speak to them, they have a context, a table to talk about it with somebody else. And when we open our mouths and we say, God is talking to me about this, I begin to change because I'm held accountable to someone else in the context of a safe relationship. And I'll see them again. So they know, I said God was talking to me about it. If I don't change, they know about it. That's the family of God. We all want to grow together and God will change our reputations and he'll help us to help the reputation of others. And here's the best part. The blessing for Zacchaeus came to his whole family. What does it say? Jesus responded, verse 9. Jesus responds, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. How many of you want to see a miracle in your family? You're believing for it. Listen, when you let Jesus into your house, you are opening the door to your family being changed. But let's open the door even further. Lord, would you change a generation through our home? Would you do a work in us so that we have a house of miracles? Would you do it in Maple Grove and Lakeville and Elk River and Spring Lake Park? Would you do it in apartments and trailer parks and houses? Would you do it in duplexes? Would you do it in church buildings? Would you do it in nurseries, in lobbies, in parking lots? Everywhere the church goes, may we have the miracle that Zacchaeus experienced. When Jesus comes to your house, bring it home. Come on, somebody. Bring it home. Would you stand with me today, church? <laughs> Today, we're going to pray over your home. We're going to believe for God to do miracles in you and your home. 
But the action step to my message will be a little different than we ordinarily do in church on Sunday. Typically, I'll end the message here. We'll do a song. And then we'll go to the altars and prayer teams. There will be some prayer teams available afterwards, as usual. But today, the action step is actually going to be to turn and notice the people around you. They might be in the row ahead of you. It might be behind you. It might be next to you. And when I'm done praying, I double-dog dare you to take three minutes to greet a few people around you and ask two things when you talk to people. The first is this. Just ask the question, what are your plans this summer? <laughs> you got vacation plans? What are you going to do? And then secondly, if you feel comfortable, what is one thing I can pray for you? What if we just took that step right here and we got to know the people around us? You're like, Pastor Nate, I've never prayed out loud. I'm scared of that. I get it. But let me just tell you this. You don't have to be a super prayer. All you can say is, hey, when somebody tells you what you can pray for, you can say, you can put a hand on their shoulder, or you can stand right there and you say, Jesus, they asked for help with their family. I pray that you would answer their prayer. Amen. Boy, that was really hard, right? You know what you just did, though, when you pray for somebody else? You became a part of Jesus' healing work in their life. You got a different vantage point. You went up a sycamore tree. You were able to see Jesus in a new way, even in church. And that's a powerful thing. And I just encourage you to do that. And then afterwards, we're going to have in the lobbies, we're going to have breakfast. Elk River already ate. They ate dinner in the, they had tables in their sanctuary. We couldn't do that here. But people are going to eat and hang out and you can go from here. But I just challenge you to do that. I also challenge you, have people over to your house sometime in the next couple of weeks. Practice what I preach. Do it sometime in the next couple of weeks. Would you close your eyes before we go? Just to ask a question that we ask every week, but it's really important today that perhaps you are Zacchaeus. You've heard about Jesus. You've seen him from a distance. But you have been brought close to Jesus today, a different perspective. You've been brought from the upper deck down to courtside seats. You are face to face with Jesus. And you need a relationship with him. And I don't know your story, but I know this. Jesus cares about you. No one's looking around, but if you need to give your life to Jesus and have a relationship with him, it starts with a prayer. It starts by saying, I'm a surrender to you. I believe in you, Jesus. And you invite him into your life to become your leader. And he forgives you of your sins and he makes you new. You don't do that. He does it. But you got to start with coming to him. And perhaps that's you today. You need to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back to him. I'd love to pray with you. No one's looking around, but you say, Pastor Nate, I need to get right with God. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to start my relationship with him or come back to him. Just put your hand up and say, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Who else? Yes. Yes. All over. Yes. 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 Love to pray with you. Those of you who raise your hands with you pray this prayer after me and repeat these words, but mean it from your own heart as you talk to God. And everybody else, you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth, died on the cross for my sin, and then you rose from the dead. Today, I know you're alive. 
I believe in you and I surrender to you. Please forgive me of my sin and make me new. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out EmmanuelCC.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.